Now that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You may be seated. Wow, welcome to French Church. It is so great to see you here today, and it is great to be back. Uh, after a couple weeks, I, Sheila and I were thinking it's probably been 33, 34 years since I've taken back-to-back -back weeks of vacation, two weeks in a row. And, uh, and so another 33, 34 years, we'll do it again. And, uh, and so we'll be all set. At that. But it was great. It was great to, I, I finally understand what people say. Sometimes it takes to that second week before you can really, you know, relax. And, and it was so neat. But we missed you guys. We really did miss you. And we're so glad to be back. And to be finishing up today the series, God is Stranger, which we've based on the book by Chris Kandaya. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been challenged by it. And I hope you've uh, been challenged to think about these times where God shows up unannounced, unexpected, unrecognized, and then yet big things happen. That's when God really begins to do a work. And last week, Pastor Eric left you with Jesus on the cross. Clearly a strange place for God to be, right? I mean, even stranger than a manger, it means you can understand maybe God coming humbly, but to be on a cross, to die, to sacrifice, to be tortured, to give his life seems like a strange thing to do. And in fact, then he's also surrounded by strangers. As the Bible tells us that many of those who were his followers had abandoned him and had, out of fear had gone, but those around him, including the two thieves on each side, which Pastor Eric talked about last week, it's interesting that as I think about it, of all the people that were gathered around, of all the people that were there, uh, there was only one that seemed to really understand who Jesus was. There's only one who seemed to get it. And he was the one hanging next to Jesus when he says, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Kingdom. He understood this 
king that they were making fun of, that they were uh, abusing, was indeed a king, but his kingdom was not what they had expected. And so Jesus dies there on the cross. But we know, and we just sang about, right? That's not the end of the story. Amen? Amen. It's not the end of the story. In fact, I think the last time I preached, last time I was here, I talked about Christmas. Today I get to talk about Easter. <laughs> but you know, we're not going to start in the morning. We're not going to talk about that, that morning when all the, 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 the magnificence happened. The stone was rolled away. The, the ladies came and, and they saw that it's empty. And then Jesus appeared and, and they ran back. And, and that all happened. But you know, as the day progressed, we don't really hear anything more about where's Jesus? All we have now is the empty tomb, and where's Jesus? And so we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 24. I encourage you to take, follow along in your Bibles there or the ones there in the pew in front of you if, if you want to go along there. We didn't read all of it, just out of time, but we will be referring to some of that. Because later that day, the, the, the shock maybe uh, that shock, shocking moment had worn off. Still shocked, but that, that moment of, oh my, what's happened has, has now settled back and it's, you know, it's in that, did that really happen mode? <laughs> did it really happen? Did, what do you think? And Luke writes here about two people on the road to Emmaus headed home from Jerusalem, who were talking about the events of the week. And in verse 15, it says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. A stranger shows up. A stranger. Wouldn't have been unusual as they were walking along the paths of the roads of that day, especially a fellow Jew, to come up and to welcome a stranger as you walked along, especially after the Passover and everybody's heading home and you're just kind of talking about the events. And clearly here, um, as they were there and discussing with each other the events of the week, they, they're talking, here comes a stranger, but he's no ordinary stranger, as the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us this was just no ordinary traveler that was coming along. This was the risen Christ himself. But the Bible tells us they were kept from recognizing him. And how that was done, or we, we know that even Mary didn't recognize him in the garden. She, he, had to, he had to say Mary and get her attention, and then he recognized him. Maybe it was this glorified body that Jesus had, or maybe God had just was hiding their vision for a while. But for some reason, they didn't recognize who he was. So Jesus joins the conversation in verse 17 and says this, What are you discussing together? As you walk along, <laughs> Jesus, hey, what's you talking about? What's happening? What's, what's the news of the day? And the Bible tells us that they looked at him, and uh, you can imagine pretty incredulously, and says, are you crazy? <laughs> Don't you know what's happened? Haven't you been around? I mean, here we are. We come for our holy celebration, our festival, and it's not it's a crucifixion. And they, and they start to, to talk about Jesus with him there. They talk about who he is, a little bit about him. I remember watching a show years ago, I watched a few episodes. It was called Undercover Boss. Anybody who ever watched that Undercover Boss? But the, the boss of the company puts on a disguise and then he goes in and it was like if I would put a disguise in and then walk in and start asking my 
people around me, my, my, the people who report to me what they think of me. And they're not knowing that they're talking to me, you know. And, and some of us don't ever want to try that. You know, we'd rather not know. You know, we don't, that kind of honesty is not what we want. But here, here's Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus, and they're telling Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> they're saying, well, there's this guy. And he says, he, 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 he's, he, he was a prophet, and, and, and he was powerful. He was powerful in his word. You should have heard this guy preach. Oh, could he preach? He was powerful in his deed. Let me tell you some of the things that he did. And he, would, he had power. He could calm storms. He could heal diseases. He could bring people from the dead. But our leaders, our, our leaders, our chief priests, they turned him over to be crucified, and he was killed. And they says, we thought, we hoped we hoped he was the deliverer. We hoped he was the redeemer. And you can sense in this, this feeling of lost hope. We, we thought Jesus was going to be something, and he turned out not to be that. We thought he was going to do this, and he didn't do it. We thought. He says, then he, and you can feel that. And he says, but you know, that was three days ago. And then this morning. These crazy ladies come screaming. <laughs> They're saying, he's, he's alive, he's alive. And, and we, they saw him and we, some of our guys went down and, and, they, and they checked out the tomb and sure enough, the tomb was empty, but we didn't see Jesus. We didn't see Jesus. We had, we, we, and so there's, they're wondering, what's true? What's not true? What's happened here? Can I believe it? The angel says he's alive. The lady says lie, but we don't have any evidence. All we have is an empty tomb. Well, Jesus responds to these words with this. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Get this, Jesus We'd like to think of him as wrapping his loving arms around and pulling them close. And it says, boy, are you stupid. <laughs> Not those words exactly, but he says, you know, he says, you're foolish. You've missed, you've read, you've, you've read the scriptures and, and you, you, you think you understand, but you're missing, you're missing the implications of this. Don't you understand that, that the Messiah must suffer? And then it says, he, he, he walked him. In fact, verse 27, not on the screen, says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He's, he starts, and he just starts, kind of like we've walked through the book, God is strangers, walking from the beginning. But he's, he starts, and he starts saying, here's, what, here's what's been said about me. Here's the prophecies about me. Under the, under, only they didn't realize it was me <laughs> at the time. They just thought it was some great teacher. And he's explaining to them, and he's talking to them, and he's educating them. He's inspiring them. He's enlightening them. Can you imagine? I would love to have a transcript <laughs> of that message on the road to Emmaus. Oh, I would love to just be able to read everything that Jesus said to tie all this together for these individuals who are walking along the road. And so, as the scripture says that they were, they were coming and it was getting late in the day and they had come to where they were going to stay. And Jesus, you know, kind of went like he was going to go on. And they, being good hosts, hospitable people, understood that it's getting close to night, it's dangerous out there. And besides, we kind of like listening to this guy. <laughs> and say, hey, won't you come in and stay with us? Won't you come in and stay? 
I think of Jesus. And I think of his acceptance of that invitation. And You know, when Jesus is invited, he always stays. Jesus was invited and he came and stayed. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to John about some churches, and he's talking specifically here about the church of Laodicea, a church that's, that's kind of lost, it's lukewarm, it's nothing really going on there, and he's criticizing it. But at the end, he says in chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. He said, If anyone hears my voice, if anyone opens the door, I will come in. You know what he says? I'll eat with them. I'll eat with them. He says, well, we're just going to have a, a dinner amongst friends. All you have to do is invite. And so in verse 30, we read this at Jesus' urging. When he was at the table, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and they disappeared, and he disappeared from their sight. Now again, it, this would have been the appropriate thing to do. It would have been the appropriate thing to offer hospitality to this individual and then also to offer bread. Whether, you're, whether he's hungry or not, but chances are he's been on the road and chances are everybody's hungry, right? So they come in and they offer him bread. But it would not have been the role of Jesus to take over and to serve the bread. We're seeing a progression here and I, I hope you see it. Jesus has gone from stranger to guest, to host. Jesus starts off as a stranger in this story. And pretty soon as, 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 he, as he has conversation, as he has dialogue, they say, would you be our guest? And then as Jesus sits down, he becomes the host. It's now Jesus calling the shots. Very much like he comes into our lives many times as a stranger. Many times we don't recognize God when he first approaches us. Many times we're walking in our own darkness and we, we start to encounter this stranger. But as a stranger then as we encounter them and as we, as we seek out God and we say, Lord, come be my guest. Help instruct me, show me. All of a sudden, at one point, when we accept Christ, when we allow him, he becomes the host. And he, and, and, and he starts breaking the bread. And there was something, whether well, it was something in the way he broke the bread. Maybe they remember, maybe they were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. You know, maybe they were there in some of those other meals that Jesus got criticized for with the, the, the Pharisees or, the, or, the, or the, the tax collectors and the sinners. Maybe, maybe he was there, maybe they were there in the upper room. But something that was done there, as Jesus moved from stranger to guest to host, they had that aha moment. They had that aha moment. And just like that, he's gone. <laughs> just like that, as quickly as he came, he's gone. Verse 32 says, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? As we fellowshiped with this stranger, as we talked with this stranger, as we, as we opened our lives and our hearts to the stranger, weren't our hearts burning? Now, this is not heartburn, <laughs> okay? This is nothing that's going to be taken care of with Tums or Rolaids. This is something in their soul. 
Because when they welcomed the stranger, they welcomed the Lord. And they had this, they had this burning. John Wesley in 1738 had been struggling with his faith. In fact, he, at times he wondered if he even had faith. And he was getting all kind of instructions from everybody. They were telling him, try this, do this. The Moravians were saying, you have faith, it's, it's there. And, and one day he was reading scriptures and he was struggling. And that night he went to a service on Aldersgate Street. And he was hearing the reading of, actually the reading of Martin Luther as a preface to the, to the book of Romans. And he, and he makes this comment about that speaking to him. And he says in there, as I listened and as I heard, my heart was strangely warmed. Have you ever felt that warmth, that God moving in your life? And it's in times especially when you're with others. I got to tell you, and I might have mentioned this before. I know I've mentioned it in small groups at times. I, I felt that so incredibly. Uh, just this past year in October when we had our um, Hispanic pastors, Latino pastors conference here. We were sitting around our kitchen table and Lazaro, one of our Friends, pastors from Cuba, a man who has nothing, nothing, was sitting around our table sharing his ministry of Cuba. Beningo. Beningo was a Cuban-American living in Amherst, Massachusetts, but would be able to make those trips into Cuba and work with Lazaro and would tell me about what God was doing in Cuba and how he had taken a ministry that, because of persecution, had, had, been, had been shrinking and smaller and smaller, the French church, because of, of Castro's um, communism. But in recent years, how they've been allowed freedom and how church is growing and how God is moving and God is using people to reach Christians, reach people for the gospel in Cuba. I'm sitting there having breakfast and my heart's being warmed. You heard Miguel that Sunday up here tell about his ministry in, 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 in Massachusetts with the Hispanic church there and how his father had passed away and, and left him with the church and how God was doing some incredible things. And I'm hearing his story around that table. My heart was warmed. Just Friday night, Friday night, Telly Moraes, our pastor and, and friends, missionary down in, in, in missionary, but he's, he's, he's um, Brazilian, was sitting with us and we were sitting around a table and we were eating and then later that night talking and hearing what God is doing in Brazil and the work of the French church and how it's growing and the excitement and, and hearing these stories and my heart was warmed. Our hearts are warm when we sit, or sit around, we, we have a meal, we hear stories, we share the good things of God, what God is doing. And our hearts burn. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to sit around the table and enjoy fellowship. I thought about that as I was, we were on vacation uh, last week, a week or the week before, we spent eight days up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, saw some bear uh, and uh, had a, just had a great time. And I was thinking about our conversations. And I realized that in our conversations, there were three questions that what I say were the top three questions that would come up in the 2019 Steer Family Vacation. My wife is waiting to see what I'm going to put up here. 
The top three questions on the Steer 2019 family vacation in the White Mountains of New Hampshire were this. What are we doing for breakfast? <laughs> what are we doing for lunch? What are we doing for dinner? <laughs> you know, there's something about meals, right? It's the leveler. We all need to eat. We all need the sustenance. We all need to do it. And, and the question always, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus ate a lot himself too. In fact, Tim Chester, theologian, says this. In the, he said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or returning from a meal. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. We, we, we're, we have to eat, so we might as well make good use of it, right? And we might as well fellowship. And, and in this meal we see here today, they're, they're sitting down with Jesus, and they've heard all this talking, and, and all of a sudden the master breaks the bread. And we realize God speaking through a meal. Our series has kind of been like this. The series started with a meal with three people, Adam and Eve and a little serpent guy, right? Then we went to Abraham and the three strangers come and they ask for a meal. And here today, three individuals, two strangers in Jesus or two people in the stranger Jesus together for a meal. The writer of Hebrews wraps up his book or her book, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, with these words of exhortation. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to the strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Pastor Eric used this scripture back all the way back in our second message of this series about Abraham and offering these strangers hospitality. The first few verses there in Hebrews 13, they talk about this. In fact, the first verse says that we as Christians should love one another. The second verse says we should show hospitality to strangers. The third verse says we are to remember those in prison as if you were a fellow prisoner. The call to be hospitable, the call to reach out, the call to love, the call to care, you've been hearing it for many, many weeks. But as Kendiah summarizes this in this last chapter, and as we read this last part of the Easter story, we see again this act of hospitality ushering in a wow moment. A wow moment when their eyes were open, they see Jesus. And they raise, wow, our hearts burning. We love each other. We show hospitality to strangers. We remember those in prison because our hospitality is a reflection of our faith. Our hospitality is a reflection on our commitment to Christ. Our hospitality is a reflection on what we believe about God. The actual Greek word for hospitality, phileia niho, phileia neo, Think I got that right? Actually, means this is the, this is the verse word that's used for hospitality in Hebrews thirteen two, and that really actually means for the love of a stranger, phileo zinia, the love of a stranger, or the caring or friendship of a stranger. 
We're more likely these days to know the word xenophobia, right? <laughs> the fear of strangers. You know, whoa, boy, we lock our doors, we lock our houses, we put up our security systems, we, we uh, you know, do all these things to protect ourselves from strangers, xenophobia, as opposed to, to loving the strangers and caring for the strangers. We demonstrate this every time that we speak to a stranger, every time we speak to someone we don't know, every time we talk with those who are different than us, those of a different race, those of a different culture, those of, of a different nationality, those of a different economic status, every time we reach out and touch, we show this love, this hospitality of God. Henry Nouwen defines hospitality in his book Reaching Out as this. Here's what he has to say. Hospitality, therefore, means primarily the creation of a free space where a stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. You see, the goal here, the stranger can enter in and become a friend instead of an enemy. The, the, the goal is to move someone from hostility to hospitality. To take someone who is hostile, someone maybe who, who is, is hostile to the faith, someone maybe is hostile to you, and through hospitality to win them over into, with, into hospitality. And it says, you know, the goal is not to change them, but the goal is to offer space where transformation can take place. Now and says later in, in that book, our prejudices, snobbery, and indifference to the needs of others need to give way to radical hospitality needs to give way to radical hospitality. Jesus was all about radical hospitality. In fact, you probably know the story of the good, or not the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, right? You know the story of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Actually, that story, among other stories, are told in response to Luke chapter 15, 1 and verse 2, where the leaders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, are upset because they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, Look who he's spending his time with. And they say specifically the tax collectors and the sinners. And then they say he's even eating with them. <laughs> he's even eating with them. And so they set it up. They set up the story. There's Jesus spending time with these sinners, spending time with these tax collectors. He's even eating with them. And then Jesus starts on a series of stories. And one of them being a lost son. You know the story. There was a man with two sons, very rich man, and the son said, give me, younger son says, Father, I don't want to wait till you die. Give me your inheritance. I want out of here. I want to spend it. He took the money. It says the Bible says he took it, went to a far land and spent it on frivolous living. He comes back and he starts to realize, and he starts to realize, you know, it never says there he felt bad about what he did. It never says he felt sorry, really. All it says is he was hungry. <laughs> He was so hungry, he said, if I want to get a good bite to eat, I better go home. And if I'm going to go home, I need to tell dad that I'm sorry. And I'm sure there was some sorry in there, but, but really the whole impetus of this was food. It was a meal. It was to be back with his father and to be around the table and to have some good duck or pheasant or bear, whatever they eat. Got bear in my mind. Saw, two, or saw a couple bear up in, Yeah. We know the story. He comes home. The father is so excited, so excited to have his son home. He welcomes him. He says, bring out the robe, bring out the ring. Slay those fatted calf. 
Start the music. Let's have a party. And while the party was just ramping up, we read in Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And you know what the next verse says in verse 28? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Mm -mm, No way. No hospitality here. No hospitality here. And he treats his younger brother like a stranger. And he's moving backwards. He's gone from hospitality because he was his brother. How many meals had they spent together over the years? And he's gone from hospitality to hostility because he didn't agree with what he did. You know, it's one thing with those, with those thief on the cross. There's a sense of even if Jesus forgave him and he's going to get in heaven, he's getting what he deserved, right? In fact, even the, even, the, even the thief said that. We're getting what we deserve. We're getting what we deserve. What happens with those people who you run into that <laughs> have become hostile or whatever, and, and your, your reaction is, you know, I just don't agree with what they did. And they're not getting what they deserve. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've been around a table before you before. And they've gone from hospitality to hostile. Maybe they've worshipped with you. And they've gone from hospitable to hostile. Kendiah, in God is Stranger, says this. In our increasingly divided world, I believe the time is ripe for Christians to demonstrate to our world the truth of the gospel through the power of revolutionary hospitality. Would you agree with me that we live in a divided world? Yes, yes we do. We live in a world of divided communities, divided families, divided churches. And in this increasingly divided world, I believe the time is ripe. It's now for Christians to demonstrate to the world, the truth, the gospel, through the power of revolutionary hospitality. We've seen this modeled throughout the Old Testament, and Kandai has pointed out time and time and time again. We've seen it modeled in the New Testament. We see it modeled in the life of Christ, and we see it modeled in the church, not just the church in this book, but the church as it progressed, as, as the church grew over the next few hundred years. Hospitality was a big part of its growth. The Christians would reach out to those who were suffering, to those who were being imprisoned, to those who were, who were being marginalized. They would love them, and the church grew because hospi- in hospitality, people reached out. And when, when they reached out, and when there was that meal, and when there was that sharing and caring, all of a sudden, that aha moment, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. They see Jesus. The conclusion of his book, 
Kendiah makes this final proclamation. He says this. God's concern is focused on the last, the lost, the least, and the left out. And we too should include ourselves on that list. The Bible is realistic about the fact that each one of us is flawed, selfish, and broken. I love that. We've talked a lot about the, the marginalized, the hurting, the last, the lost, the least, and the left. But one day, one time we were a stranger. One day we were the outcast. At one time we were the alien. At one time we were the broken. We all have our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. We can include ourselves in this list. God's concern is for the last, the lost, the least, and the left out. And then he says this, it, the Bible, is also consistent, insistent, and persistent that if we love God, we will make room for strangers, getting close enough to offer the hospitality that Jesus modeled for us by being a perfect stranger. It's all through the scriptures. You've heard it for 12 weeks. Consistent, insistent, and persistent. If we love God, we will make room for the strangers, getting close enough. And some of those strangers are, as I've said today, maybe ones that were once hospitable to us, but for some reason have become a stranger. Some of those will be people you've never known before, and you have a chance to reach out and to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to create space. And the, the, the motive doesn't need to transform them. The motive is just to give space so they can be transformed, so they can hear that good news of the gospel, so they can love Jesus and they can know that their sins are forgiven and know that Jesus Christ died and rose for them. That's the good news. So my challenge as we close the series is how can you make room for a stranger? How can you make room for the stranger? How can we think of, pray for, prepare for that moment where we meet up with strangers. I'm going to pick on somebody here. Um, Lois Ann, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> you know, when, when we're in Europe or, or in Israel or wherever, and the rest of us, 32 people or however other there were, we're all in line and doing what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to do. <laughs> There's Lois Ann over there talking to somebody, usually of a different nationality, of a different language, of just striking up a conversation. So much so that for some of them, she ends up carrying stuff back on the plane from Israel to take to someone in their family. <laughs> that's loving on strangers. I, I admit that's not always easy. I, I don't think it's always easy to, to reach out to a stranger because you never know, you might get rejected or something, right? But who's a stranger you can reach out to? Maybe there's somebody in here today that was once hospitable, but now is hostile. Maybe we should reach out. Maybe there's someone somewhere in another church that was hostile, and we say, now nah, we want to bring you back and be hospitable. Maybe there's somebody, you've seen their face around here. You know, as we leave today, maybe you can take a look at someone who's a stranger to you and offer a, hand of hospitality. 
Now, don't everybody offer him donuts at the, at the, because, uh, you know, we, we don't want anybody getting too many donuts. <laughs> but maybe a meal. You know what you can do? Tonight, uh, or this afternoon, 5 o'clock, we have a church picnic. Isn't that a great time to celebrate, to fellowship, to love on each other? Maybe you're saying, I, you know, I really don't need to go to that picnic. Maybe somebody needs you to be there. Maybe somebody needs you to be there. Do you know we had, uh, last one count I saw was 334, something like that, uh, uh, ch- t- children and teen workers, children and teens at Bible school. That was one day this week. We sent, almost every day I saw our greeters out there at the end of the day handing out pamphlets for this picnic tonight to parents. I don't know how many is going to show up, but there's a good chance we're going to have some folks from the community, folks that were in Bible school. They want to come and swim. It's going to be hot, you know. It's going to be, it's going to be a beautiful day. What, a, what an opportunity to come tonight. Even if you weren't thinking of coming and saying, I'll come. I'll, I'll, and I'm going to look up somebody I don't know. I'm going to look up a stranger. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to love on them. I'm just going to introduce myself. Maybe you can start there today. There's information about that and out in the lobby and you can find out more. And you say, well, I don't have time to make something or bring something. Pastor Steve says it's okay to come even if you don't have something. Okay? Just come. Be a part. Fellowship. Together. Up at uh, Osborne Park in Willoughby. Going to be a great time. How might you reach out and love a stranger. If we're all doing that, I don't think this church will hold the people that God would bring our way. If we're showing love to the marginalized, the hurting, that's our challenge. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, today, as we end this challenging book that's, Lord, had us look at some of the more difficult parts of this scripture at time and, and some of these that we're a little more familiar with, but Lord, challenges us anew. Challenges us again to love you and to love you and then love our neighbors. And then love not just our neighbors that we know, but the neighbors who are strangers. and the true stranger. Lord, challenge us. Get us out of our comfort zone. Help us to, Lord, reach out and to care and to love those around us, no matter how different they are. And through this, may Jesus Christ be glorified. May he be lifted up. May your kingdom be expanded by new lives at the throne of grace. And we'll sing our praises to you forever and ever. Together with many folks who used to be strangers but are now all part of the body of Christ. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you go, go and serve him. Come back next week. I told you about Telly Moraes, our uh, great, great guy, for our, our leader at our Brazilian ministry. He's going to be here. He's going to be sharing with us a yearly meeting Sunday. So come, expecting to be blessed. Have a great week. See you tonight.
Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. Thanks. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Yeah. 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 That's what I've heard from others, too. Yep. Hey, Wayne.